it's never a convenient time for the board to show up, but um, sometimes the board shows up early in the morning when things are really rushed around a veterinary practice. From the Texas Veterinary Medical Association in Austin, Texas, this is Veterinary Vitals, a show that features open and honest conversations with veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein, Media Coordinator for TVMA. If you're a veterinarian who works in a clinic setting, what I'm about to share with you probably sounds familiar. It's Monday morning, you walk into your clinic, and even before you drink a cup of coffee or tea or orange juice or whatever you do to wake up in the morning, you already have three voice messages, an ER case in a room, and a technician who needs help inserting an IV catheter for surgery, or maybe even more on that to-do list. But I'm stressed just thinking about that situation. And now imagine that a compliance inspector from the Texas Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners walks through the door. Now you have extra stress. And the question is, are you ready? Do you know what to do to make the process go as smoothly and as quickly as possible? Just in case you aren't or you need a refresher, I highly recommend listening to this episode. Dr. Don Farrell, who is both a veterinarian and a lawyer and works for Whitaker Chalk Swindle and Schwartz PLLC, will tell you what you need to do to be prepared for this situation. Here he is. So I am uh, primarily a litigator. I uh, would also provide a lot of transactional services for my clients. Uh, we litigate uh, in courts, uh, do a lot of malpractice defense for veterinarians. I also do a lot of uh, uh, defense of veterinarians before the Texas State Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners whenever there's a complaint against the veterinarian or if they've failed to pass a compliance inspection. Okay. And that is exactly what we're going to talk to or we're going to talk about today. Um, So can you please explain what the job of the Texas Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners is? What are they, what's their purpose? What do they do? So the Texas State Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners is a Uh, state agency under the office of the governor and the legislature set up that agency in order to uh, ensure high quality veterinary medicine in the state of Texas and to protect the public from poor quality veterinary medicine in the state of Texas. So that agency establishes the rules that govern veterinarians in their veterinary practice and the agency also enforces that rule. So they have investigators who uh, if they receive a complaint from the public, we'll go out and investigate uh, to determine whether or not uh, there's been any wrongdoing by a veterinarian or if there's been an unlicensed individual practicing veterinary medicine. And then they're also authorized by the legislature to, and not just authorized, but commanded by the legislature to perform uh, routine compliance inspections where they go and just see that make random visits to veterinarians and determine whether or not their practices are in compliance with their rules. And what does a compliance inspection look like? What, what would a licensee expect to happen when someone comes in and reviews their practice? So generally what that's going to look like, uh, one or two investigators usually show up unannounced and 
lets you know that they are there to perform a compliance inspection. Um, they've got a, a form that they use to uh, perform this inspection. And I recommend that all veterinarians have a copy of that form. Uh, it's easy to get. You can go to veterinary.texas.gov, go to the form section and look for the compliance inspection form. And uh, you can download a copy of that. But the, the first thing they're going to want to see is that when they came in your lobby, that uh, the sign was up that told members of the public how to contact the State Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners. And I know there's still some veterinarians out there that aren't aware of that requirement, but uh, you must have a sign that gives the contact information for the State Board and tells the public where they can go to complain about you. Uh, the investigators are going to ask for uh, access to the medical records, to look at a sampling of those, to see if uh, your medical records are uh, in good shape and if they're in compliance with the law. Uh, they're going to want to see that your veterinary license is displayed where the public can see it, and that needs to be true for all the veterinarians working in the practice. Um, <clears throat> they'll want to look at your continuing education records, be sure that your continuing education is up to date. And these are some of the basic things that are so easy to be in compliance with. And I recommend that veterinarians have these items uh, in a folder, you know, your, a folder with your continuing education records, and a folder that has uh, any uh, letters authorizing people to utilize your DEA registration, things of that nature that the board's gonna be looking for. Just to have a notebook that you can hand to them quickly and hopefully get their job done quickly. It makes their job easier. And as I always tell veterinarians, the faster you can get them out of your office, the less likely they're going to see anything that might not be in compliance that day. Yeah. Uh, they're also looking just at cleanliness. They'll look to see if things are clean. And the, their primary focus these days, because of the opioid crisis, is record keeping with regards to controlled substances. And they are going to inventory your controlled substances, and they are going to compare that inventory to your drug log. And they expect your drug log to be up to date with the anticipated balance on hand written out to the side uh, so that they can compare the actual balance on hand to what you anticipate it would be. And that'll never be dead on 100% accurate just because of uh, hub loss and overfill and underfill of bottles at the manufacturers, mm -hmm. but they expect it to be close. The other thing that they're going to look for or other things they'll look for with regards to your controlled substances is your, uh, you should have a folder that contains all your invoices for drugs that have been received. Uh, and then they'll want to make sure that's up to date. And they also look to see that you have what's called a biennial report. Uh, the DEA requires that you maintain a report Every two years, you go through and inventory everything and make a separate sheet for each drug showing what the balance is that you have at that time. 
And I recommend you do this annually and keep that report with your drug records so that you always make sure you've got one at least less than two years old if you're doing it annually. So what is the likelihood of a compliance inspector coming in like throughout the year? Some people get inspected multiple times during their career. Um, I was speaking with uh, Mike Tacker, who's head of enforcement the other day at Texas Veterinary Board, and uh, he said that they found that there was one practice that in 52 years never got inspected. So because it's random and you just don't know, but they are going to make a concerted effort to be sure that everybody's getting inspected. Uh, In fact, I suspect they'll be asking in this next legislative session for additional investigators so that they can get out and do more inspections. In urban areas, they are able to inspect them pretty frequently just because it's uh, budget concerns. Uh, Their travel expenses are less if they go to Dallas, Fort Worth, or Houston, or El Paso. Mm-hmm. and camp out for a few days and see multiple clinics in a day rather than driving hundreds of miles between practices out in rural West Texas. But uh, with the increase in investigators that I anticipate, I think even the rural practices can expect to see their uh, state boards show up a little more frequently. So I wonder how the board decide, like, okay, we're going to go check on this specific clinic. It sounds random. And my understanding is that it is random, and uh, or at least to an extent. And so they will try to hit the bigger areas, obviously, because it is more cost-effective, the more highly populated areas. So to that extent, it's probably not random because of the budget concerns. But then within that population of veterinarians in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex or the Austin area, Houston area, uh, it is going to be random for the most part. I suspect but don't know that uh, I've had some clients that because they got a complaint, they also quickly got a compliance inspection behind that complaint. So if you know that some client has complained about you to the state board, uh, that's probably the time to make sure that everything is in order. And in fact, one thing that uh, the investigators have told me is that they like to see that you've done your own compliance inspection, that you've gone online, downloaded this form that they've put online, and gone through your own clinic and inspected it. And that's also a service that I provide is I'll provide that inspection. And then you can have that form to show the investigators that at least you're trying. And they said to me that that goes a long way with them to know that you're making the effort. And what are veterinarians rights when you know when an inspector comes in, do they have any rights? Um, You can uh, require that they get a warrant. They will most likely get a warrant. Um, just because you've got a license. And if you're not willing to allow them to come in, then you can lose the license. You have the right to keep them from coming in, but since your license is a privilege and not a right, you could lose your license. 
Likewise, you can refuse to speak to them and insist on having your attorney present. Uh, and if things are not in order, that may be in your best interest. But again, the board can uh, suspend your license, revoke your license, take other actions against it because you've exercised your constitutional right. And the reason is because the, the constitutional rights are rights that can't be denied you, but your veterinary license is not a right. It's a privilege that you earned, much like a driver's license. So it sounds like it's really important to be proactive, like to make sure that you're doing your own uh, compliance inspection. And if possible, you know, if someone would have you come in, but being proactive is the best way to be prepared. Yes, I would agree with that, that um, not only is it just good practice to be proactive and to be prepared for these inspections, but it also, you know, I've had investigators tell me that they really look at that. And if they see that you've got a form that's been filled out by you recently within the last year, showing that you've done your own inspection to try to make sure that you're in compliance, then they're probably going to do all they can to help you. And that's another good thing to remember that these are human beings. And if they're met with hostility, sometimes they're going to respond with hostility and you may not like the result. Whereas if they're met with graciousness and compliance and assistance, uh, then they're liable to help you out and help you get in compliance rather than initiating a formal complaint against you. And that's why I say that it's good to have a folder or a notebook that has everything in it that you can that will speed their job, make their job easier, that you can hand to them and say, here's all my CE, here's my uh, DEA drug invoices, and here's my prescription pads, they're all under lock and key. And they can see quickly that uh, you're in compliance, you're organized, you know what you're doing and you know the rules. And that's another thing. Uh, I think it's good to have a copy of the rules that you look at periodically. Um, not that you need to look at it every week, but have a, a copy of the rules in your notebook that you're gonna show the board so that they know that at least you're aware of those rules and uh, are trying to comply with them. And then I imagine, you know, they give you a report afterwards, like, you know, they did the inspection, then they give you feedback. And then after that, do they tell you like, you have this amount of time to make these changes? Yes, so that uh, form that I'm talking about, uh, they'll sign it and you'll sign it just saying, acknowledging that uh, they gave it to you and it will have feedback on it. Um, the certificate that you sign says, I've read the compliance inspection form and understand the entries and comments and I intend to voluntarily comply. Compliance is expected and does not prevent a formal complaint from being generated. Okay. And it says that you're to submit any documentation required within 30 days. So they give you 30 days to come into compliance, but that doesn't mean that just because you came into compliance, there won't be a formal complaint filed against you. So who usually files the complaint? Isn't that typically a client? So anybody can file a complaint against a veterinarian. And I've found that uh, those complaints most often come from a uh, unhappy client whose pet either 
expired in your care or uh, did not recover as a result of your care. And so they are trying to find out if something bad was done to their pet that shouldn't have been done. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other second most common would probably be disgruntled employees who are aware of uh, deficiencies in your practice and they ignore them or maybe complain to you about them and you ignore them. But in any event, once you fire that person, they will often go to the board and complain about you. Um, And then uh, I've also seen other family members of a client complain about a veterinarian. And then the other source, which is probably the either second or third most likely source is the investigators themselves making complaints based on compliance inspections and investigations. Okay. So I imagine that, you know, if I were a veterinarian, I might feel a little anxious or nervous if someone makes a complaint. Um, Have you experienced that where people have felt like a little scared? And if so, how do you help them manage those feelings? Like how do they navigate that if they're like a little stressed? Yes, I would say that most of them are quite stressed. Um, They're concerned that they're going to lose their ability to uh, continue to provide for themselves and their families. And, you know, they're concerned that they're going to lose their license. And even if it's not such an offense that it might cost them their license, there's still that embarrassment. Uh, that your colleagues are going to find out that you aren't in compliance with the law and uh, you've got a complaint against you. And uh, I've had people that uh, it was so important that even though the board was offering them the most minor uh, punishment that they could offer, they insisted on trying the case to defend themselves because they had had 40 or more years of practice without any problems and just did not want that hanging over them at the end of their career. So uh, what I like to uh, tell my clients is that most likely you're not going to lose your license. Most likely your license is not going to be suspended, uh, especially for a first time offense or uh, for a situation where maybe there was some minor negligence involved in the care of a pet or if your drug log happens to be out of balance uh, usually if that's a first time thing and they haven't been on you about it then uh, there's not going to be anything too severe Mm -hmm. Uh, you're probably going to keep your license Uh, you may get a formal reprimand you may pay a fine may have to get some more continuing education, but those are the usual punishments. Uh, Suspensions and revocations are the unusual punishments. Uh, Those are usually reserved for situations involving intentional conduct and fraud, things of that nature. Okay. What are some common mistakes that veterinarians make um, when they're either preparing for uh, a compliance inspection or um, reviewing it themselves? Like, is there anything common that some veterinarians end up doing that's not helpful for them? As I mentioned earlier, you know, 
meeting the board with hostility is probably not a good thing. And obviously, it's never a convenient time for the board to show up. But um, sometimes the board shows up early in the morning when things are really rushed around a veterinary practice. And uh, I've seen a lot of veterinarians get upset and want to get uh, combative, not physically, but uh, verbally with the uh, investigators. And best just to relax and, and try to figure out how to help them as best you can and work through this. And as I said before, just being prepared. Uh, you know, if, if they walk in and you're very busy and all you have to do is walk over and grab a notebook and hand it to them and you can keep them busy for 30 minutes looking through that notebook and getting most of their inspection done right then and there while you go get something else wrapped up, then you can free yourself up and get some time to come and uh, help them finish up their inspection, be with them as they look through your drugs and uh, do the drug counts. Uh, I think one of the things I do see a lot is that uh, people tend to leave those drug boxes open during the day. Uh, I would say keep those closed and locked. And I know it's not handy to use the key every time, but I'd use that key every time just so that the whole office doesn't have access to those drugs. Um, I think a lot of veterinarians don't know that they're required to have the biennial report that we talked about where they inventory their drugs at least every two years and keep a report of that. Uh, I think a lot of veterinarians aren't aware that they're supposed to have a, a written uh, list of the people who are granted access to the controlled substances. And then also you're to have done a background check and written letters to the DEA requesting information about anybody who has access to the drugs. And I think a lot of veterinarians still aren't aware of that requirement in the law. So, you know, these are things that the board's looking for and they're things that, uh, I think a lot of veterinarians aren't doing yet. And so hoping to get some education out there for them so that they can start getting these things under control so that they have a smooth compliance inspection when it does happen. And isn't there a new requirement for continuing education regarding controlled substances? Yes, there is. Uh, and it's going to be a requirement for a two hour course that you're required to take. I believe it's every other year. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that course is going to be regarding the laws affecting controlled substances. So hopefully that helps. Yes. Hopefully that's going to get a lot of the education done that we need to get done to, to get everybody in compliance with these drug laws. And when do you as an attorney step in? What is your role in this? I don't know if you got to elaborate on that. So my recommendation is uh, that you should engage an attorney as soon as possible. And two ways to do that. If you have the licensed defense insurance with the AVMA, PLIT, or some other uh, insurance company, uh, then the first thing you're going to want to do if you find yourself in the situation of having a complaint against you is to one, not talk anymore. 
you know, anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. So I recommend that you stop talking and immediately contact an attorney and let anybody who wants to interrogate you or question you know that uh, that will only happen in the presence of your attorney. Uh, but if you have insurance, contact that carrier immediately, let them know what you've got going on and they'll appoint an attorney for you. Uh, or you can just call an attorney and get them involved if you don't have that insurance. You don't want to try to navigate a complaint by yourself. I think that a lot of people think that, well, these are just other veterinarians and they're on my side and this is all going to work out, but that's not the case. Uh, this agency is charged with protecting the public from the unauthorized or unethical practice of veterinary medicine, and it's not charged with protecting the veterinarians, so to speak. Though uh, I believe they should be involved in at least protecting their rights. And about how many cases do you see a year where you're helping a veterinarian with this? In my own personal practice, I probably see at least 50 veterinarians a year where I'm assisting them in some way with uh, dealings with the, the state board. Okay. And is there any additional advice you'd like to give to veterinarians to wrap this up? Anything you didn't get a chance to say? You know, I don't know that it's new advice, but just to reiterate that uh, being prepared for this compliance inspection is the best thing that you can do. And like I say, whether that's through doing your own compliance inspection or hiring somebody to come in and do the inspection with you and provide some training for your staff, the inspections are going to happen. They're mandated and it's only a matter of time before everybody gets inspected. So be prepared for it rather than just waiting for it to happen to you. I hope by now you feel prepared for a compliance inspection. If you got one thing out of this episode, it's that it would be wise to download the compliance inspection form from the board's website. You'll find the link to download that form in the show notes. You'll also find contact information for Dr. Don Farrell. He's the person to call if a client files a complaint against you, or if you have any questions. On the next episode of Veterinary Vitals, you'll hear from the current TVMA president, Dr. Rick Wall. He shares what he and his colleagues accomplished over the course of his presidency, always keeping in mind the mission of TVMA. When we uh, do the things that we do, we're representing all veterinarians in Texas, whether they're members or not. His tenure concludes at the TVMA annual conference on February 29th, 2020. For now, please subscribe to the podcast, rate the show, and write a review. That's how more veterinary professionals will find out about the show. Thank you for tuning in to Veterinary Vitals. I'm your host, Dina Goldstein from TVMA. Thank you.